0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's byt dot com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And uh, you might be able to hear it in my voice. I, I I lost a little bit of it last night. A little meet and greet over here in New York City. That's where I'm at this week. Uh, met a lot of bootleggers there. That was awesome. Uh, and also that's why I'm not in my normal setup. I I dragged my whole you know podcast setup out to out to New York this week. So I'm doing it from a, a hotel room over in Union Square. And EJ's still over at his place up in the uh, Pacific Northwest. And we got a whole lot of good wild card games to talk about this weekend, and also a few really, really good regular season finale games to to kind of do a little quick recap of as well. But uh I'm excited. Playoff football is finally here. It's a brand new season. Winner go home every single week. And uh honestly, I can't find a single bad game on the schedule this week. I'm super excited for it.
0: Yeah, it's this is what Bill Parcells used to say. This is what you lift all them weights for, right? This is get through the regular season and and we've got all the games lined up we had a great finish to the regular season and that's not always the case sometimes it's kind of a limp to the finish a lot of teams resting it was a very strong final week of the season uh the nfl got what they wanted out of the last week of the season for sure um but i know you had a pretty good time last night in new york so uh what are you drinking tonight
1: uh water <laughs> i am weird i'm looking out for myself i'm drinking water
0: Good looking out. Well, uh, I'll hold up. I'm not going to say enough for the both of us because that would be bad, but uh, I've got Cascade Lakes Brewing Slippery Slope, one of their winter beers, um, and have had most of the rest of this six pack, but uh, had one straggler left on. So I'll be sipping on that as we're talking about uh, what was really a pretty fantastic finish to the regular season and then getting into some of the wild card previews. and We've got our very last shot of the week. Uh, on the show so
1: tons <laughs> well, to get to one of us does because again uh,
0: <laughs> okay. when you go to
1: when you go to a taco place at one in the morning and you order tequila and you're not sure which one you're getting uh and then you wake up the next morning and you're like you know i'm only 30 percent sure that was tequila uh yeah being uh me and the good stuff from from down south are on a little bit of a break for the next week so that one's all you <laughs>
0: Ah man, New York City. Big Apple's a good time. Gotta say that.
1: But uh why don't we get into again before we get to the wildcard games, a little bit of a quick week eighteen recap because I mean we just kinda we gotta give the NFL like a little bit of a golf clap here for keeping everybody's attention and you know, the high drama until literally the final minute of the final game of the season. And, of course, it's the Raiders because, I mean, from wall to wall this season, it seems like the Raiders have at least been entertaining. You and I were there in week one when they, they started the year with an OT thriller against, against B. Moore, and uh, uh, and then they ended the year in a primetime thriller. Again, That's that was just kind of the Raiders football experience this year. It was a lot of heartache and uh, a lot of heart palpitations. But overall, Raider Nation's feeling good. But, again, golf claps to the NFL for – for scheduling the last week in a way that seemed to maximize the drama in every way, shape, and form, especially in the AFC side of the coin. Uh, It was awesome. I didn't expect, like, after the Saturday games, like, especially when you had, like, star players sitting out, I I didn't expect that Week 18 was going to end up as good as it was. And then, man, Sunday really came through.
0: Yeah, it was an entire weekend. Saturday's games were were solid and fun, but – Yeah, I thought there might be a little bit of air that got let out of the balloon on Sunday, and it was the opposite. As soon as Jacksonville started taking it to the Colts and that just sort of unlocked all these other scenarios, we knew we talked last week that Chargers Raiders was kind of built in drama win, and you're in last game of the year. But as soon as Jacksonville kind of threw the wrench in the monkey works things got really interesting and you just kept checking to see okay what happens if oh no are they going to do it they're going to do it okay that means this happens and there were still so many scenarios usually it feels like when we go into the last week of the regular season there's like three maybe tilt games total and two of them maybe are pretty unlikely you're, you're pretty sure who's going this didn't feel like that at all as soon as jacksonville started taking it to indianapolis it was like oh wait a minute this is gonna get goofy and pittsburghers were on the edge of their seat all through raiders chargers the whole thing but how how lucky are raiders fans i mean like you said we were there for the for the first game with full fans in allegiant and it was one of the best games i've ever been to in my life and then they end the season back in allegiant winning in they win they get in like Raiders fans got spoiled this year. And I know the Raiders ride has been really tough. We've talked about that a lot, but that team has been entertaining no matter what. And there are a lot of fans in the NFL who can look at their teams and not say that my, my team was good. My team was bad, (laughs) but it was not entertaining. And the Raiders, uh, obviously persevered and whatever else, but Raiders fans got a lot of good football in their building this year. And that's really cool. I'm happy for them, but overall, In terms of ratings, in terms of the product on the field, in terms of holding everybody's interest, the NFL just nailed this last week of the longest season ever.
1: Uh, And also, before we move on, shout out to the NFC West, by the way, which we knew was going to be a good division going into the year. You go back to our division preview last summer and we were saying, hey, like all four of these teams are good. There's not a bad team in the bunch. Uh, And they sent three teams in a very competitive NFC to the playoffs. And it really did come down again to week 18 uh, where the Niners had a a win and in scenario, but the way that the Niners got in, you know, being down 17, nothing, which normally the Niners are not necessarily a team that you think are built to come back from a three possession deficit, but they really got rolling in the second half and, and they made it happen um you know Jimmy G made some really clutch throws he had he had a, definitely a few shaky throws because his thumb was hurt but he had a he had a few in the second half that they absolutely needed and they got it um and you know handing Sean McVay his first loss with a halftime lead of his career it's like 45 and 1 now i think is the the stat for that that's pretty insane so the niners a starting out the season as shaky as they did and then coming all the way back in the standings and then also coming back from a three possession deficit where they absolutely needed to win or they were going to get knocked out you know doing something that had never been done before which is upsetting Sean McVay when he has a halftime lead you know also golf claps to them like if we're handing them out you know in this whole first section like they they need to be congratulated uh for for doing something that had never been done before with an injured quarterback so Hats off to them, Kyle Shanahan. We had a lot of, we had a lot of uh, angry words, angst, yeah. <laughs> mid-season angst, but uh, they they turned it around. And they pulled it off. I think they should be commended.
0: Yeah, absolutely, as a division. But the crazy thing is, nobody would want to play Seattle if they had made it the way they were playing at the end of the year. If it wasn't the Niners, it would have been Seattle because Seattle had a huge dip in the middle of the year with Russ getting hurt. Everybody wrote him off, including us talked about blowing it up you know russ leaving firing pete whatever the last month of the season the seahawks started to get their groove back and i don't think if they had rolled into the playoffs which didn't happen anybody would want to play them right now because they're running the ball really well and whenever the seahawks are running the ball really well they're dangerous and i just speaking of golf claps we got to talk about rashad penny because rashad penny Hmm. has been look he's been a joke uh he was a first round pick he got injured and it it's never fun to pile on guys that got injured but he never realized anywhere near that first round status and he would come in and he would show flashes and he'd get injured go back to the bench rashad penny finally gets healthy second half of the year and goes on a revenge tour level tear just to put it in perspective his last five games 671 yards 7.1 mm. per carry, six TDs. Like, unbelievable stats. If he'd kept up those stats for anywhere near an entire year, he would have been, like, the third best running back in football. The one that got me, because it was amazing enough, we we were all sort of like, you and I, the first week, five, six weeks ago, he we had his first good game, right, against Texans. And we yeah. Were, and we were like oh, there's the game that Pete goes, see, see, he was worth a first round pick and then he's going to twist an ankle or tweak a shoulder and he's going back on the bench. Nope, he started stacking games. Over that same last five weeks, Rashad Penny had 485 yards after contact, after first being touched by a defender. Jonathan Taylor, who a lot of people were talking about being in the MVP voting, over the same period had 463 total yards. Penny... 485 after contact jonathan taylor 463 total yards wow yeah penny went like
1: 463 ain't bad either like that's a good number
0: yeah no penny went on a like all-time tear here and a lot of people weren't paying attention because again seahawks have been written off they largely weren't going to make the playoffs people were focusing on pete whatever Meanwhile, Rashad Penny comes back really healthy for the first time in a long stretch in his entire career and goes ham. So just speaking of golf claps or maybe slightly louder than golf claps, got to call out Rashad Penny.
1: Uh, I also want to take a moment to kind of give our Black Monday reactions or, you know, some people saying maybe Black Monday is a little bit. Crass of a term, and we should just call it the day everybody gets fired. I don't know. You could talk about branding with anybody else, but me, I'm not very good at it. Uh, so let's just talk about the coaching positions that are now available and in the, in the men that left them. I guess that's a nice way to put it. Um, now, obviously, Urban Meyer and John Gruden have been out for a while. So those jobs have been open for a long time. But now, assuming nothing else is happening we had kind of a late addition to this list but assuming everybody else in the league is safe uh Vic Fangio was also let go by the Broncos so that job is open probably pretty attractive one as well the Vikings cleaned house from everybody Mike Zimmer and Spielman are both gone the Bears also cleaned house although that was somewhat expected at least the, the Matt Nagy firing was expected pace you could argue maybe wasn't as expected but I can understand why it happened. Uh, The Dolphins, the most unexpected one, letting Brian Flores go after two winning seasons, and he has two of the only three winning seasons for the Dolphins in like the last 15 years, and then he got fired. There's been a lot of rumors that it wasn't necessarily his coaching ability. It was his relationship with uh, front office personnel and Tua that led to him being let go. I'm not entirely sure what happened. From what I've heard, it it, it was a personality thing, but again, I don't know who he didn't get along with and like what was said, what the incidents were, what was justified. Like I, I have no context to it. All I know is people didn't get along in Miami. They still won eight of their last nine games, but they didn't get along in Miami. So Flores is out. I still think he's a really good coach. He'll get another shot somewhere. Um, I, I, and I, maybe if there's a better quarterback situation with his next team, uh, maybe there won't be, quote-unquote, personality conflicts the next time around when he gets frustrated uh, by his quarterback situation. And then last but not least, this one just got added last night while I was uh, meeting some bootleggers at a bar, uh, and that's Joe Judge got fired. Again, we were told over and over again, he's safe, he's safe, he's safe. And I think Giants fans made enough noise that the Giants themselves were like, okay, let's revisit this. And then the nail in the coffin, I think, was when GM candidates also were saying, eh, I don't know if I want to go there if you're not going to let me choose my own coach. I think that was honestly the nail in the coffin. I think the fans opened up the discussion in the building of like, okay, we, we should, we should probably revisit this, but when they couldn't attract the right candidates for the job, because it was clearly the least desirable GM job out there, they had to make a change or they were not going to get anybody. And so I'm not going to say I'm happy that he was fired. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be happy that, you know, somebody loses their job, but it was necessary because if they didn't let him go, <laughs> a, a rebuild situation for the Giants could have been a lot more bleak than, uh, than even it is right now.
0: Yeah, I don't think they listened to the fans at all. I really don't. I think if they were listening to the fans, they wouldn't have done a lot of things done, they've done over the past two years, um, including a lot of things they've done this year. I think everybody knew Gettleman was leaving. It had been widely sort of announced, unannounced, speculated that Gettleman was going to be walking away. The GM job was going to be open. The Giants started reaching out to agents and saying, okay, you know, is is your guy going to line up for an interview? And I think they heard, are you keeping Judge and and Daniel Jones? And they were like, yes. (laughs) And the agents were like, no, then they're not coming. And they probably heard that two or three times, and called a quick circle the wagons meeting in the boardroom and went this is going to be a thing like we've reached out to five people and three of them said they're not even taking the interview like this is going to be a thing how serious are we about this and look the fans and nfl media we've been on this wagon for a while that joe judge was not really qualified to be an nfl head coach right he one of the least qualified head coaches hired in the last four or five years easily and didn't help his cause down the stretch. Any, um, some really weird play calling in the final week of the season, uh, just exacerbated the point, but it, it, come on. It was, it was the very top of an iceberg that had been building for literally a couple of years. He's had plenty of missteps and, and not a ton of really, uh, that's that's a great moment moments like that he doesn't have he didn't have a lot of brownie points saved up so when the Giants started hearing he's going to be an impediment to getting a decision maker in your building that can get you back on top I think they said "Mm, how serious are we about this and the answer was not super serious and that was it that was the final straw
1: because I know uh John Mara said I think it was today that this season was the most embarrassed he had ever been during his time as co-owner of the team. I, I agree. (laughs) This is probably the low point that's coming off the Ben McAdoo era. And that's still the low point. Again, they passed for net negative yards against the freaking bears with uh, an entire backup secondary. Yep. It's, it's hard to be lower than that. Um, So, yeah, he he should be or should have been embarrassed as the owner. And ultimately, I think they got to the right place, which is realizing like we we got to blow this thing up again. They have a lot of money tied up in not great contracts, so they're going to have to shed a lot of those. Whoever they bring in next, they're going to have to give time unless they're just a colossal, colossal failure for reasons beyond football, like, say, urban meyer in jacksonville where like it became clear like we can't do this for more than uh, 10 months but their next hire ideally they're going to have to give time because they need time to shed bad contracts to build up the talent level again potentially take a swing at quarterback if not this year then definitely next year like they this is going to be another three-year build which i know we keep having to do three-year builds with the giants but it is what it is. That's where we're at. That's where they're at. You know, there's, there's multiple teams that I think are in that situation and the Giants are one of them. It's unfortunate. Cause I feel like Giants fans are tired of it, but I mean, at this point, you know, the only way out is through, they just got to grit their teeth and bear it. There's no other way to do this.
0: Yeah. I saw a really interesting, uh, statistical workup today about two versus three years of, rope right of space for coaches and gms and at least from a coaching perspective really interesting findings that if you don't make the playoffs especially in the expanded playoffs if you don't make the playoffs in the first two years you don't make them so this oh you got to give me a third year thing is just prolong yeah it's fascinating i'll send it to you um uh maybe we'll post a link to it in the comments i it it set me back not too many things i read every day in the nfl media like make me sit down and go wait a minute is that real is that true and you look back through it and the chances of making it if you don't make the playoffs within the first two years especially in the expanded playoffs aren't good you're, you're not going to improve over that time now if you go back a long way um timelines were very different you know you go back to the 70s and, and different roster limits and it took teams a long time sometimes to climb to the mountaintop in the modern nfl that is not the case like if you don't make it in a couple of years there is a strong case to go in another direction and find somebody who
1: will well Um, i wonder how much that stat is skewed by the fact that normally you don't get a year four (laughs) <laughs> like if you don't make it the first three years, you get fired. Right. Even if you're making progress.
0: I, I get it. But the the idea that you have to take three slash four years to make progress when we see that you clearly don't, if you, you know, don't hamstring your coach with certain things like a bad quarterback. So when you said the Giants, you know, maybe this year, maybe next year, I'm like the inside of my head is screaming this year, this year, this year make this year the learning year for the rookie and then he'll presumably be more ready to go next year and and the new coach will have had a year under their belt and they'll have an actual shot at at running for the playoffs so fascinating bit i'll send it to you but um yeah they're gonna have to move fast they don't have a ton of money everybody keeps saying oh this is really desirable and i think that's just a sort of shadow of new york thing everybody oh it's new york well, yeah, but you still don't have a quarterback, which is the most important piece on the field. You have cleared the way with moving out a GM that didn't get results, moving out a coach that didn't get results. So that's better. But we looked it up a couple weeks ago. There's something like fourth worst in overall cap space, six million bucks.
1: Yeah, they they don't have a lot of money.
0: Yeah, not a lot of money. They do have a lot of draft picks, and I, I heard that a lot today on Twitter when I when I mentioned that. Uh, you know, the GM job for the Giants wasn't terribly desirable because you don't have a quarterback in the building. You like, yeah, but they have all these picks. Well, depending on who you listen to, it's not the greatest quarterback class, whatever you, you still know, We talk
1: it. about like a quick rebuild and everything like that. Like you would need a quarterback to do a quick like the, like I'll give you an example. Um, unless you're the Saints with Sean Payton who can threaten for a playoff spot with like Ian Book and Taysom Hill like that's there's like one coach in the league that can do that or or not one coach in the league but there's very few coaches in the league that can do that but for the eagles that had a one-year rebuild well they have their quarterback Mm -hmm. again jalen hurts isn't perfect but good enough he's good enough got him into the playoffs so with a
0: very green staff that we talked about very green staff so So, if you have
1: a quarterback one year you can you can do it if you Mm -hmm. don't have a quarterback that's when I think a little bit of grace is necessary because even veteran coaches that don't have a quarterback are going to miss the playoffs a lot of time. Like again, Sean Payton got close to getting in the playoffs, still didn't make it because of his quarterback situation.
0: I mean, Vic Fangio is the other one. We talked about him at the top and a lot of people said, well, you know, it's not fair. Well, you're right. It's not fair. The NFL is not fair. Vic is, a brilliant defensive mind probably if not the number one current defensive mind in the nfl close we had some stats on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that got lost that backed that up but he had lousy quarterbacks to deal with right he did not have his quarterback to get him there close didn't get him there is that fair not terribly fair it'd be i would have been really interested to see what vic could do with that defense and a quarterback um we've talked about that for the last couple of years on this podcast but that just further reinforces in my mind if you don't have one you go get one people like what if you can't for you do whatever you can to get a quarterback because if you don't have one you're not going anywhere from the get-go and until you get one that's not going to change
1: and that's why it's it's I feel a little bit bad for Mike Zimmer and, and Spielman because they tried, they really tried. You know, with the, with the Kirk contract, like they felt, yeah, because they were coming off Case Keenum and an NFC Championship game appearance, and they felt like we're right there, we have a great roster, let's just get a little bit better at quarterback, and they did, but unfortunately for them, I don't feel like the team around the quarterback position was ever as good other than maybe like I think it was 2018, I think was the year where everybody stayed stayed healthy. But again, they had maybe one more year in the entire Kirk era where I felt like they were an actual threat. And then the rest of the team around Kirk started to get to the point where I didn't feel they were uh, contender ready. One year it was the offensive line. The next year the defensive line was razor thin because of injuries. Um, you know, the secondary was a revolving door, especially at the corner position. They made some picks that didn't work out for various reasons. Um, I still felt – oh, and uh, the tight end, the the Alabama kid, Irv Smith, he got Irv hurt Smith. too. Early, yep. So I feel like – we also have to talk about Dalvin's shoulder injuries. Those kept creeping up too. So the roster around Kirk, other than like one year – could never stay healthy and it got really, really thin towards the end. So I feel a little bit bad for, for Zimmer and Spielman because they did technically the right thing. They bet big on quarterback. They knew they had to upgrade. They were right on the doorstep of a super bowl. And honestly, if they had Kirk in 2017, who knows, maybe they go to the super bowl, not Philly. Cause I, I do think that team was extraordinarily talented, but Unfortunately for them, it's just going to be a what-if scenario because they never were able to kind of recapture that magic with the rest of the team around the quarterback position until it was too late. So it's, like you said, sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it's bad luck. Winning Super Bowls, unless you're Tom Brady, is all about catching lightning in a bottle. And for a lot of these coaches, they just couldn't catch lightning in a bottle. They were just unlucky. It is what it is except for Matt it, Nagy. Matt Nagy I don't think was ever going to get lightning in a bottle, but
0: <sighs> no, it's it's hard. Like that just reinforces it. Every everybody knows that, everybody says it, but when you really break it down, it's not that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace didn't try really hard every day to bring wins to the Chicago Bears. They did. It's really hard. It's really hard to get the right players. It's really hard to pull the right levers on game day. It's really hard to stay healthy through an entire NFL season or several NFL seasons. It's really hard to play in a division with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's really hard to go against the best athletes, some of the best athletes on the planet every day in every way you know if you're an offensive tackle it's not like oh i get the next three weeks off and then there's that one pass rusher i'm gonna have to worry about you've got to worry about multiples every week it's a very very difficult league and the margins between making it and not making it are razor thin catch here there call here there injury here there and then it becomes like you said a what-if scenario so it's not that any of these people are bad people or didn't try or they're you know whatever it's that in that given scenario we talk about this with players all the time got to drop into the right situation it's the same for coaches and gms a lot of times like it has to be the right situation i mean you're talking about miami right like flores made it happen anyways and it still didn't work out it still became the room kind of dividing up and saying you know who's who's gonna side with the owner like it's hard in every way, people are involved, a lot of people. There's a ton of variables. It's a long season. It's a very difficult thing to do to win in the NFL consistently. And a lot of people who are really qualified try really hard, and sometimes it just doesn't happen for them.
1: People always say that fantasy football is like 90% luck. Well, coaching in the NFL is sometimes about luck, too. It's about situation, you know. If you're Denver and you're pulling off a trade for Aaron Rodgers, guess what? Vic Fangio is not fired. He's in the playoffs right now, and he's probably a one seed. <laughs> so it's just shit yeah, happens. It is it's, what it is. <laughs>
0: it's funny how the reverse of that is happening with all these coaching vacancies and GM folks. And we'll, we'll talk about folks as they settle out, as we always do. But the reverse of that, right? People like, I mean, you even said it on Twitter. It's like, oh, well, you know, Brian Dable. Like, he's a good coach, but he's got Josh Allen, who's one of the most physically talented quarterbacks in the world, playing for him, and that bails him out sometimes. And it's no different for LaFleur in Green Bay having Aaron Rodgers. Like, you can tell sometimes LaFleur just shakes his hand when he comes to the sideline. He's like, Nice work, man. Like, <laughs> Thank you for I, getting me coach
1: of the year. I, appreciate I really it. <laughs> appreciate
0: that because that's not what I called, but you did that thing and we scored. So you see that. And not every coach obviously has that luxury, but it's starting to blow back a little bit on some of these offensive coordinators. Um, You know, I heard it about left, today, like how much of that offense is really his, And how much of that is just Tom Brady being Tom Brady. Right. And it's a combination, but this is what's going to have to get sussed out in all these interviews and the vetting process that they're all going to go through is like, how much of it is really yours? How many of the strings are you pulling and how much of it is, josh allen or tom brady or or whoever else just going off
1: i'm sure we'll be talking about these coaching vacancies a lot over the next several weeks people are going to get hired probably starting within the next seven days i would say is we're going to start seeing names you know get get inked here so we'll we'll have plenty of time to kind of expand on each team individually as they bring in coaches and, and new gms and stuff like that but uh for now i do want to get to these wildcard games kind of go through them one by one do little little quick previews for every single game Uh, starting off with Raiders Bengals the interesting narrative for this game is everybody's talking about how it's all about Burrow it's all about Chase Higgins Boyd which obviously yes they are big factors here but I was going through the tape uh, on my flight out to New York I put it on my phone like the the, the thinker that I am. Uh, and I was going through the tape and I realized, I was like, man, uh, Joe Mixon's kind of beaten these guys to death, like all by himself. And I was like, I couldn't pull up the stats in the air because I'm not going to pay $40 to Delta for fucking Wi-Fi for five hours. But I looked at the stats after and I was like, oh, okay. he. It seemed like he was beating them to death because he was beating them to death. He got 30 carries for a buck 20, two touchdowns. You know, he had a couple a couple big chunks in there, but his longest was for, like, 20 yards, so it's not like he got, like, a 70-yard run and that made up the bulk of it. It was a lot of three-, four-, five-yard gains over and over again, over and over and over again, just bludgeoning them over the course of that game. Uh, really, really impressive performance by the interior line in that game, in my opinion. Not that the Raiders' interior defensive line is, like, fantastic, but... I think it was uh it was a much different Bengals offense than I think I'm like used to seeing because I just I see it as like a bombs away type system but that game was all ground and pound it was Joe Mixon controlling it the defense played really well against Carr um you know they really limited Jacobs as well I think that was uh I think that was one of the the Logan Wilson games where he had like a million tackles if i remember correctly um it it was a it was a much different game than i think you expect from from the Bengals over the last half of the season And I'm very curious to see if we're going to get a repeat performance, or at least if they're going to try to repeat that. And again, they want to keep Carr off the field because Carr is a dangerous quarterback himself and just run and run and run until it stops working.
0: Yeah, this the one for me, we're we're each going to do kind of one big narrative or shot per game. Because we've talked about all these teams all year. If you listen to us, you're familiar with these teams. We've we've told this story over the whole season. And you know these teams by now. So this is kind of the summation. Like, now we know what the matchups are. For me, anything with the Raiders is gravy at this point. I, I don't think anybody really expected them with everything that went on to be in the playoffs. They got there. They took. They've got some injuries. But to me, I want to see the Bengals light up their offense. And they can which is sort of in opposition to what you said, but it's always fascinating come playoff time. And, you know, do people get more conservative? And we've seen as uh, the least amount of conservative play in the NFL, I think we've seen in many, many seasons, people going for it on fourth down way more often, people going for it on longer distance fourth downs, people really pushing and understanding the difference of, hey, a a punt's not going to help me here. I need to go for the points. Hey, uh, you know, If I pin them deep, I've got just as good a chance as if I kick a field goal. So there's there's been this aggression throughout the NFL, and I want to see if it continues into the playoffs. I hope it does for the Bengals, because I think they're much more dangerous playing in that way. And I'm not sure that they really want to keep Carr off the field all that much. I think they're somewhat comfortable with him being on the field. They don't want him going bombs away and throwing the ball. 60 or 70 times that's not the thing but i'd like to see them try and boat race them i'd like to see them really open up that wide receiver core mixing everybody and just go for it and see if they can put the hammer down because i don't think the raiders can keep up like i don't think they have that much firepower
1: and i don't know waller and renfro is tough to deal with it's not obviously as much as Cincinnati but right and that's
0: the thing is can you just really hit the gas and drag race the other guys and beat them it'll be fascinating to see if that's the approach that Zach Taylor takes or if they decide nope Mixon's a good back and we're going to give him 35 carries today because we want to control the clock and we think we can we think we can wear them down and win this game I don't know but it, if the Bengals go the other way it's about surviving that Raiders rush, which is good. Max Crosby is playing great. Yeah. in there. They did take an injury to fill on in at defensive tackle. Yeah. I
1: think, I think he's out for the year, isn't he?
0: Right. And if that's the case, I might scale this sort of little prediction back and go, okay, (laughs) hammer mixing away like 30 times because he had a tremendous game against the chargers. He was a big factor in how much they were able to bottle up Eckler in the middle of that game and and slow them down i i would like to see the Bengals say you know this this is this is what got us here we're gonna we're gonna run what we brung and and we're gonna light it up we're gonna try and put 14 points up and see if they can keep up uh and just go from there it'll be fascinating to see whether it's a more conservative approach given who's playing and really what the Raiders can do because I think people have been writing the Raiders off all year. Basaccia's got this team playing on all cylinders. They played so hard against the Chargers. Mm
1: -hmm. They
0: came on every down. They were physical. They were flying around, hitting guys. Like It's not a team I would want to play. I'll say that if I was the Bengals. But I think if I'm the Bengals, I think I have more talent. I want to see if I can just stretch out some points and make them play keep up. And I think they'll fall off before I will.
1: Let's get to, uh, Patriots bills, part three of Patriots bills. It's divisional, uh, divisional round division rivalry. (laughs) I guess you could say, uh, in the, uh, brisk four degrees. I think it is, is is what it's going to be in Buffalo. And you're, you're an upstate New Yorker by birth. So you, you know, that misery quite well Mm -hmm. from your youth. Um, What I found interesting about this game, I was going back to the film last couple days, and the patience of Josh Allen when they were giving him a lot of cover two looks early in that last game because they really wanted to... Have a way to leverage themselves against all these, you know, deep crossing routes. They call it spear concepts. It's their, it's their favorite concept in Buffalo is spear. Is you run a high cross and then you run a cross underneath it against a single high safety. Safety has to choose which one to go and you throw whichever one doesn't get leveraged. When you run two high safeties, all of a sudden you can leverage both of those. So they were doing that a lot early on, and they were taking away those deep crossing routes. Uh and so Josh Allen just sat back and he checked it down over and over again. I'm going to take Devin Singletary for seven yards, 10 yards, 12 yards. Like He just let everything sink, and he would hit his running back every single time. And it frustrated the hell out of New England until you get to the back half of the game. Now they're playing a lot more man, especially against like bunch sets. You start seeing man as their bunch check every single time because they got just frustrated. And then you started to see the rubs hit especially on like a third and two. They hit a rub for a third and two against a lock and level bunch check. You started to see uh, the deep crosses all of a sudden hit. And then they started calling man coverages that are meant to take away those deep crosses. So they would call a drive route under the spear concept because you can't leverage all of them at the same time. They hit McKinsey on that twice in like one drive. And it was a, it was a masterful performance by both Dable in terms of calling that game and also of Josh Allen of being patient and frustrating New England with his conservatism into getting into the right looks where he could be aggressive and really put the nail in the coffin. Whether they're going to be able to do that again in four-degree weather, I have no idea. But I do think that game plan is there if they want to do it again. And it's going to be really, really hard for New England to stop because New England knows what they're going to do. And they still couldn't stop it last time. So I'd, I'd be curious to see if they think they're going to be able to do that same game plan and, and get probably beat again.
0: Yeah, the weather was decent in Gillette for that week 16 game. And the difference between that and the sort of near hurricane game in, in Orchard Park from earlier in the season was really stark and it was sort of a tale of two cities with Josh Allen. He, he looked good in that other game, but he couldn't do what he normally does. When they rolled into Foxborough, that game, he he had his foot on their neck from so early on. He just hit the right, and I by right, I mean open option every time. And he made it look so easy. He's kind of strolling out to his right, and he's like, that guy's open, I'll hit him. And, I mean, Josh Allen throwing the ball looks easy most weeks, but it was to the right place. It was with the right location, on the right time. Like you said, like, give it to me, I'll take it. Give it to me, I'll take it. And it was almost machine-like. And that is very frustrating to a defense. He's always hitting the one open thing that we're leaving. Like, he's never missing. And it just felt like, okay, Go ahead, give me a deeper one. Oh, I'll hit that. The Patriots never had a chance in that game. And Mac Jones made his share of mistakes and looked frustrated by the Bills' defense. That was a, like, that was a blowout. That was a masterful performance by the Bills. They just just smoked them. Conditions are going to come back into it, but also Bill Belichick's on the other sideline. And Bill is not a guy that you want to try and beat with the same game plan twice (laughs) because he's really good at avoiding that so i'm fascinated Uh, like i think the bills should win this game they are a more talented team than the patriots overall right now and i don't i don't think that's a even a lukewarm take but can bill cook up a scheme in bad conditions with a lesser talented team to knock off one of the afc front runners because he knows them he's seen them he knows what they did to him he knows what they did to everybody else conditions are going to play more to his favor it's going to be harder to whip the ball all over the yard when it's four degrees and i don't think he's going to be able to do it but at the same time there's that back of my brain piece that says mm mm don't bet against Belichick in the playoffs. Like he's, he's probably not going to take this team all the way. I don't think he's got enough talent to do that, but could he be the guy that, you know, breaks up chalk in the first week of the playoffs and eliminates the bills early when just about everybody, including Vegas is, is heavily in on the bills. He could, he is that kind of coach. So I would like to see Dable and Allen be able to, come up with version two of that scheme with some variations and and roll on because honestly i think the bell the bills have a better chance of going deeper into the playoffs than the patriots do and it's always there's always at least one robbery a year where a talented team slips up and they lose and go home so i would like to see the bills advance but i'm i have a hard time betting against bill belichick the third time around in a season um, with conditions leaning a little bit more in his favor that just feels wrong to me.
1: Well, you've been conditioned over the last 20 years, you know, but I think, I think part of the playoff mystique of new England was also the guy pulling the trigger for sure. And playoff football, a lot of the time does come down to who is your quarterback. I know, I know people always say, Oh, defense wins championships. You're not wrong, but you need a great quarterback, uh, as a base level, and then whoever has the best defense on top of having a great quarterback, yeah, they'll win the championship. It's very rare that you see just a defense win a championship. It it happens maybe like once a decade. So the Bills have a really good defense. The Patriots have a really good defense. The, the, The difference between those two teams is the trigger man. And Josh Allen, I don't think there's anybody on the face of this earth that would say he is not by far the better quarterback in this game. There's nothing against Mac Jones. I like Mac Jones. I think he's going to be a good player, but you have an MVP caliber quarterback on one side of the field and a rookie playing in his first playoff game ever on the other side of the field on the road, on the road in like single digit temperatures. It's a tough environment. Yep. So, yeah, gimme the, the six foot six, two hundred fifty pound fucking cannon armed angel of death in Buffalo. Give me that guy. I I understand not wanting to bet against Belichick. I don't want to bet against Josh Allen. I think I'm already there with him. I really do. Uh Steelers Chiefs. This is an yeah. interesting one.
0: Yeah, I I think this should be a tune up for the Chiefs. The Chiefs have been humming right along through the last half of the season. Once they hit their stride corrected their issues um you know honestly once melvin ingram came over and trade and chris jones got settled back in the middle, huge huge and they started not giving up like things that the chiefs typically don't give up on defense that was it happened in rapid succession but that happened first and then the offense figured out oh kind of the same thing you were just talking about with josh allen like they're gonna play two high safeties we knew how to beat this before we know how to beat it now. We know that we're no, we are no—we don't have to press, like Pat didn't have to press anymore because the defense wasn't just gonna get rolled automatically, and the two things happened in sync. And since then, that, the play calling, everybody's just rallied and resonated on the same frequency. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, just happy to be here. Hi, <laughs> didn't really expect to get in. We're here, not saying they can't win, but they are not a team on Kansas City's level, so I think the Chiefs haven't figured out enough that they ought to be able to get through this without too many scrapes somewhat easily. I think the opening line was 11 and a half. Um, That's I've it? Seen, I've seen 12 and a half, hmm. um, which is still, you know, you're getting up towards two scores in a playoff game. like. Two touchdowns in a playoff
1: game. I'm not saying that it should be higher. I'm just surprised that it wasn't because I think yeah. I think when because when Vegas sets a line, they're not saying that the game is going to be decided by this. They're setting it for what people are going to bet, uh-huh. and I'm I'm surprised it didn't open higher. Yeah, because people look at like the 36 to 10 or whatever it was the first time around, and people are expecting this to be a 20 point game. Personally, I don't think it's going to be a 20 point game. It's hard.
0: Yeah. It's hard for me to believe that any game in the playoffs is going to be 20 plus points. But if there are also, like,
1: did did you go back and look at, like, how how that score happened the first time around? Because, like, Pittsburgh had three turnovers. Like, they, they had a fumble and, well, they had two fumbles and a pick. And, like, Kansas City was just scoring off all these turnovers. And, you know, they put up, I think, 23 points in the first half. And Mm -hmm. like they, it was one of those classic, like Kansas city openings where score, get the ball back, score, get the ball back, score. And it just kept happening. And next thing you know, you're up like, you know, I think it was literally 23, nothing or something like that. And then the game was over because Pittsburgh's not going to come back from that.
0: Yeah. Because you're not going to, you're not going to try and keep up with that. I do want to say on Pittsburgh's side, although, you know, I'm not super positive on the Steelers chances, Minka Fitzpatrick has been playing really good football he's been having to do too much which is never great in the back of that Steelers secondary but he is a guy that can do too much he's that talented and playoff football is funny it is you know it's a funny shaped ball and people do get a little bit tighter in the playoffs and if something good is going to happen for Pittsburgh I could see Minka Fitzpatrick keying that charge right the tip that gets picked off Uh, He's been hitting extremely hard over the last three or four weeks. He always hits hard, but he's had some real blasts. He was on shot of the week earlier in the season. Um, Like he could dislodge a football. Pittsburgh could come up with a lucky bounce. Um, You know, it's possible, but they have to keep this game tight. If this game gets to 10 points, 13 points in favor of the Chiefs, it's not a pittsburgh team built to come back from that kind of deficit
1: i just i think they they really have to avoid the turnovers because the chiefs are they're one of those like it's it's weird to say a momentum based football team but they are when they get rolling they roll you but you have to you have to avoid chumming the waters with turnovers and with you know, when it comes to uh, like the the, the cheat, not the Chiefs, the Chargers game that they won uh, a few weeks ago, where you know they they got a couple fourth down stops, I say stops loosely. There was a couple like drops uh, <laughs> wow. from the Chargers that kind of let them off the hook a couple times, and then you know they did like a ninety-five yard touchdown drive off of that, and it's a fourteen point swing. Like that is a fourteen point swing to have a touchdown not go against you and then you get one and obviously they earned it but they are they feed off momentum they get a fourth down stop they're like cool we got you
0: you know what i think it is with the
1: chiefs even more than
0: momentum and i just thought of this especially on offense i think they're a joy-based football team and that's a weird thing to say but when they're having a good time when the Chiefs are having a good time and they're loose and they're running their trick plays and they feel like they can score and if they didn't score this time, it's okay. We're going to score next time. When they're happy
1: on offense, you're in trouble. They're built entirely on vibes. Yep. It's like all all they want is vibes and it works.
0: Yeah, and when they're vibing, forget about it. Like you're, you're not going to be able – to keep up with them. And they didn't have that earlier in the season, right? They were sad. You, you saw, they were frustrated and they, they weren't getting those kind of bounces and they weren't able to take advantage even when their defense would give them the rare turnover early in the season. And it just, that permeated that way, right? That went right into their fabric and they just couldn't build that momentum or joy or vibes or whatever you're talking about. And as soon as they got back to that, They started rolling people. It's like a joy based offense. It's crazy.
1: But it's crazy, but it's also fucking terrifying because you can feel it. Like the Chiefs are the one team that when you watch on the TV, you can feel when they're going to win. Like as soon as they got the coin toss for the overtime game against the Chargers, you knew, you knew they were going to win. Like you, it, it defied all logic in terms of like how they were able to stay in that game and come back. But as soon as they got in overtime, you're like, okay, they won the division. I didn't even need to see the Whoops. rest of the game. <laughs> like Travis Kelsey, you know, dodging five dudes in the open yeah. field. It, it's vibes, man. They run vibes. off of vibes. Yeah. Uh, let's get to Eagles Buccaneers. This is also another rematch in this wild card opener. I'm really fascinated by this game because the last time they played was in that early period of Eagles football where they still hadn't quite figured out their offense yet. Uh They still hadn't quite really leaned into the run game the way that they have now. You know, Miles Sanders got nine carries in that game, over six yards a clip because he got one big run that he busted. But, you know, Jalen Hurts was their their leading Uh rusher. Or when I say leading rusher, leading uh rushing attempt getter in that game because they were still <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to RPO people to death and, and he was getting all the carries. Um so now that you know we're kind of looking at this new Eagles offense where it's like, no, we'll we'll run inside zone, we'll run counter, we'll run uh fucking ISO. Like they actually like run the ball with their running backs now. I'm really, really fascinated to see how this works out because Tampa is a really good run defense and they're getting some guys back this week too. So it's kind of a strength on strength type game, which are usually the fun ones to watch because you don't know who's going to win.
0: Yeah, I'm my key point for this one is the same as yours, but it's slightly different take. Same on the Eagles side. It was before the Eagles had figured out that they're a good power run team. Like they can they can run people over and they sort of reset their team balance. And that's what carried them to the playoffs. The other thing is Tampa Bay run defense for the last two or three weeks has been sneaky, not great because they've been a great run defense for the majority of the year. But the last two or three weeks of the season, they've given up some pretty good rushing totals. So that supposedly sort of vaunted run defense has shown some chinks in the armor and they're going up against a team that knows how to exploit cracks in the wall with the run game. So if I had to pencil in a sneaky upset, I don't want to bet against Tom in the playoffs ever, but if we're going strength on strength and one of those strengths, you mentioned it, some guys are coming back for Tampa Bay If one of those strengths isn't quite as strong as it's been all season, this could be one of those games that's surprising at halftime.
1: Right. I just think the Eagles need to be close. Just get them close in the end. A hundred percent certain. They,
0: if Tom goes up 20 points in this game, I, I don't like the Eagles chances. If it's a three point game where the Eagles are leading at halftime, I'm
1: the second half is must see TV and the one thing that the eagles can they shouldn't be happy about it but a break they're getting is <laughs> yes. the bucks are banged up. Yeah. Again, you know, they might be getting Levante David back this week, but again, he's coming off of injury. He's not 100%. They're getting Lenny back, but he's not 100%. They're playing him because it's the playoffs. They got to play these guys. They're they as healthy as they're going to be, but you know, they're not 100% right now. Uh, you know, uh, they lost Godwin the AB thing happens, so they've got Mike Evans and, you know, maybe we'll see more Jalen Darden, I guess, Scotty uh, Miller.
0: Cyril Grayson. Cyril Grayson's going to play, I think. So, so
1: it, they're they're down a lot of dudes, you know, quite frankly. And this is probably the most vulnerable this Bucks roster has been in terms of depth in two years, you know, since the Brady era started so if there was ever a week for the eagles to catch them it's now
0: yeah they got to shut gronk down gronk has been the safety valve over these past two or three weeks when they need a play which is no surprise they've gone to gronkowski and evans but gronkowski especially classic stuff for gronk right down the seam got you know need 10 yards get 15 (laughs) need 15 yards get 19 uh they've got to find a way to shut him off on those plays. And if they can, they got a chance to keep this close. And like you said, if they keep this close, I, I'd, I'd roll the dice with them at that point.
1: Watch this be like the Brashad Perryman game out of nowhere where he gets like a buck 20 and three touchdowns. Because of course,
0: totally possible.
1: <laughs> uh, let's get to uh 49ers Cowboys. Schematically, this game fascinates me. You know, some some games fascinate me from like a talent on talent standpoint, you know, Eagles offensive line versus Bucks, you know, defensive front, especially looking at like Jason Kelsey versus Vita Vea. You know, that that kind of stuff is is amazing. Schematic matchup between Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn for this game is really going to be the star of the show. You're going to see a lot of five man surfaces in this game. You're going to see Micah Parsons up on the line of scrimmage a lot as probably the weak side edge player solely to play the bootleg game that San Francisco likes to use with Jimmy G because and we've seen this when they played other systems that that have this similar style how they like to coach it in Dallas is having their backside edge player on that five man surface literally just go after the quarterback every time like he he doesn't chase the running back down the line of scrimmage they're willing to take a gamble that their backside safety is going to be a hair late and, you know, maybe you get like an 8-yard carry off a cutback for the positive impact that you could potentially get for a sack on a bootleg. And they're just going to keep letting Parsons fly unblocked after Jimmy until they just stop running boot. They they just are. Because they would rather take away that element of, you know, Kittle or Ayuk getting a 40-yard catch-off boot and then make Eli Mitchell beat you. To be fair, Eli Mitchell could beat you. But they want to take away that element that is so deadly and force them to just live in straight drop-back pass game with Jimmy Garoppolo and say, can you get chunk plays that way? And, you know, it's like that. If, If you can only get a chunk play by, you know, Debo getting a sweep or a screen or, you know, Eli Mitchell breaking two tackles, if you can't get a chunk play any other way, it's going to be hard to keep up with you know Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb. Not that Dallas hasn't had some struggles here and there offensively, but again, they're still exceptionally talented. They're getting guys back on the offensive line now. It's probably healthier than it's been in a while. The defense is healthier than it's been in a while now too. Like Dallas is a a hard team to deal with, even through some of their injuries offensively. And if you can't keep up with their explosiveness, you're fucked. And so I think they're going to use Micah Parsons solely to shut down the boot game to take away that explosive element and make them try to be explosive in the other ways that, you know, maybe Jimmy isn't as comfortable with. And all of a sudden, if you're turning that game into like Debo Samuel versus 11 dudes, as much as we love Debo, I don't know if they're going to be able to win that way.
0: Yeah, it's funny. That's my point. uh big nostalgia here for me in this one this is flashbacks to the early 90s when these two teams went at it hardcore seemingly every year for all the marbles they were in the postseason regularly i really think the cowboys d has to limit debo's big plays you're interested in how they limit boot to really force the 49ers to go left-handed and do things that they're less comfortable with to get big plays debo has had one of the most amazing seasons any football players had in a long time he's got like 1700 combined yards something like that yeah and his ability to do things he shouldn't do against two and three guys in coverage he's a crazy athlete he's a i don't want to say a strange size he's a really powerful guy he's a great open field runner he's incredibly tough And he can make things happen that quote unquote shouldn't happen based on defensive scheme and alignment. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You can be in the right defense and Debo can, can throw up chunks of yardage against you. Cowboys D is going to have to limit that because I think if they limit that limiting Jimmy is easier after that, like Jimmy is hurt. Jimmy is not the most mobile guy going, And his ability to really gash you from sort of multiple platforms at multiple positions in the backfield not as strong as some other people in the league we talked about josh allen already you know last week we were talking about justin herbert's ability to kind of beat you from anywhere if you make sure that debo is not getting what he normally gets which is very hard to do let's be honest everybody's gone into every game with the 49ers all year saying oh yeah let's stop Debo first and then we'll do the other thing most of them obviously haven't been able to the Cowboys can't let Debo run this one if they do it's going to be tough they are going to have to throw all that offensive firepower at keeping up if they can limit Debo I like their chances a lot Dak's got to play efficiently against what is a good defense D'Amico ryans has had a very good first year as a defensive coordinator and just like we talked about in an earlier game they can't have a lot of turnovers and dak is not a turnover machine that's not the point but 49ers can force you into them and he just has to play efficiently he has the weapons he has the ability to keep up and score points with this offense he just has to play within himself and he's very good at doing that if he does that and they limit debo's sort of effect on this game. I think they're in a pretty good spot. If Debo starts ripping off plays and gets them frustrated and gets them scheming to try and stop something they're not able to, all that other stuff is going to open up.
1: Uh, Last NFC game here. Let's go back to uh, another division rivalry, divisional round matchup. Uh, Part three of Cardinals versus Rams. The fascinating thing to me about this game is I I really don't know what Matt Stafford we're going to get. Nope. <laughs> Over the back half of the year, we get yeah, not just game to game, sometimes half to half. We get amazing Matt Stafford, you know, who's getting MVP buzz in the first five, six weeks of the year, and then we'll get inexplicable pick Stafford twice sometimes in, in one game. I I really have no idea what Matt Stafford we're going to get and I think that is the determining factor in this game because when the Rams lose it's because they turn the ball over. Like that is when you look at all of the Rams' bad losses including the one to Arizona earlier this year it was because they had some really really bad turnovers that Arizona capitalized on. If you can just get Stafford to play safe with the ball and stop throwing dumb picks they're talented enough, and Arizona is still banged up themselves. But the Rams are talented enough that they can just brute force their way to a victory. They really can because they still have Cooper Cup, who's amazing. Odell is a number two, is really good. Um, their running backs have been extraordinarily productive. Their offensive line is, in terms of pass uh, blocking efficiency, the best in the in the entire league. Don't let last week's game against against the Niners fool you. Nick Bosa's pretty damn good. Uh, Eric Armstead's pretty damn good. But most weeks, again, they've been the most efficient pass-blocking line in the league. And the defense has been a little bit more hit or miss this year. But again, you still have arguably the best corner in the league. And you have the best defensive lineman in the league. And you've got a couple other pieces there that you and I like as well. So it's an extraordinarily talented team that... In all of their losses, it's because they cannot get out of their own way. The Arizona game, the Tennessee game, you go right down the line. Every game they've lost, it's because they could not get out of their own way. If Matt Stafford doesn't throw dumb picks, they win. If he starts throwing dumb picks, they're going to lose probably by a lot.
0: Yeah, this one to me, again, because of the divisional aspect, feels like two siblings that have been fighting all year and they finally get to take the gloves off. It's like mom and dad are going out for a date they have the house to themselves (laughs) and they're just going to go at it because whoever wins wins, right? This is alpha supremacy. It's win and go on. And cup could go ham versus the secondary that could actually happen. Stafford has my note is Stafford has to stop being a turnover slot machine because (laughs) through the past month, He has had two turnover game, three turnover game, you know, three turnover halves, right? You look at it's like, oh, you know, you look it through Twitter and it's like Stafford threw a pick, Stafford threw another pick, and you're like, is that the second one or is that the first one? Somebody getting, and then somebody else says Stafford threw another pick. But sometimes you
1: can even feel it coming, where it's like, oh, he's he's, he's getting close, he's getting close. Stop
0: throwing. Like, stop throwing. You, you, again, you mentioned that the offensive line has been really good pass blocking, but Sony Michelle down the stretch has been a very efficient running back. He's, he's not been doing a Rashad Penny impersonation. Nobody's going to mistake him for that. But he's been getting them the yards they need when they need it, and it's almost like Sean McVay's going to have to maybe feel that coming in his own quarterback if he throws an early one and go, okay, we're not going to take the ball out of your hands because that's not the way that the Rams are going to win. What we are going to do is slow it down a little bit. We're going to give you a few less chances. We're going to give you a few less risky throws over the middle because we just want you to cool down a little bit, big guy. And once you settle back in, we'll let you open it up again. But we're not just going to it's not that three point shooter that can't hit it and just keep just keep shooting, man. Just keep throwing them up. If they do that, there's a real chance he does throw two or three. And you're right. They won't win that game. So if that happens, maybe they have to get a little bit conservative for a series or two before they ease him back into. okay, take some shots now and that'll be a tougher way to win the game. But if Stafford is efficient with the ball, I think the Rams win this
1: game. It it might sound uh, like an oversimplification to say that this game just comes down to turnovers, but there's something about the Rams that that that's really what their games always come down to is turnover margin. I really can't explain it. Like, even against teams that they absolutely should be blowing out of the water. Tennessee, when they were super banged up and they had no wide receivers and no Derrick Henry, well... when you're throwing pick sixes and you're still letting them you know, put points on the board that way because Kevin Byard is literally sitting 10 yards off your number two and he knows you're going to throw a speed out because you, just, you think you can hit it. And he knows you think you can hit it. And he's just going to step in front of it because he knows that you're Matt Stafford and you think you can make any single throw. And he's going to use that, I don't want to say arrogance, I'll say confidence against you. Mm-hmm. Teams know that Matt Stafford is a very confident quarterback and they will you they will show him something and they'll be like oh there's a there's a little window there yeah, I think you can hit it you're Matt Stafford you got a pretty strong arm you got us you got us please don't throw that Matt and then he'll try to throw it and they'll be like ha ah, gotcha gotcha every yeah. single week the other way the Cardinals are gonna
0: have to do well the Cardinals are I guarantee right now Cliff Kingsbury is deep in the bunker scheming up everything he can do to put whoever's playing in Jordan Fuller's place. We saw some surprising news out of the Rams camp today. Oh yeah. We
1: got to talk about that Weddle signing. What Yeah, Eric
0: Weddle. So Weddle comes back as a safety. He hasn't played in two years. Very experienced player, very quality player had some experience with the Rams before, but again, hasn't played in a couple of years. I really want to talk about the guy that he was signed to replace in Jordan Fuller, who was a lot more to the rams especially in the back half of their defense than most people who don't pay attention to the rams understand um really early in the year i was lucky enough to talk to jordan rodrique the athletic correspondent who covers the rams who is excellent and she and i had a conversation about fuller because i liked fuller as a guy at the combine and he eventually went to the rams and she said no he got the green dot and the green dot is basically the captain's mic on defense and she said it wasn't it wasn't a fluke like everybody i mean you think about that defense you got jalen ramsey back there you got nope it you know it's not that he is a better player than jalen ramsey it's that he understands can settle and can get people into the right places that's why he got the green dot he's the signal caller for the back of that defense he's the quarterback for the back half of the rams defense and has been since training camp that guy goes out that's not something you can just plug back in they've got an injury linebacker uh, there's some there's some holes up the middle here and if the Rams linebackers can't tackle against the Cardinals rushing attack it's going to get rough and when they start to pack the box the guy that would be filling in the back end would be Jordan Fuller
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's not there So Cliff right now is, I guarantee you, salivating about the prospect of hammering Connor at the middle of this defense and seeing if they can hold. And as soon as the Rams have to start packing down to stop the run, going after who's ever in Fuller's spot, hard and heavy with every nasty combination he can throw at them.
1: There's been some talk that um, Taylor Rapp and Jalen Ramsey do not get along well man and that that's why they brought weddle back is because they wanted somebody that could communicate with ramsey I, I they put that to bed in rams camp so uh,
0: for folks that again don't pay attention like taylor rapp and jalen ramsey punched each other in the huddle in the first five minutes of their game uh and everybody was like what's going on everybody top to bottom mcveigh both players uh press everybody asked about it it was a high profile thing everybody put that to bed and said look miscommunication got hot during the game didn't happen again uh it's not a thing rap also is uh in concussion protocol i don't know if he's out yet but he was definitely in it so again more banged up i I think they brought him in as a body right because fuller's out uh, rap was in concussion but protocol th- there
1: has to be other names on the list right other than a 37 I, year old that hasn't played in two years i think so but
0: again familiarity and the rams do things differently personnel wise we saw it in the draft right rams only had three draft picks and their draft picks were um let's just say outside the envelope to them <laughs> it made perfect <laughs> sense but they do it a little bit differently it reminds me a little bit of john schneider and the seahawks right they they just sort of march to the beat of their own drummer so i think they have their reasons i don't know what those reasons are would he have been my first choice i doubt it but then again i don't know as much about where they're at what they're expecting from him in replacement um it, it's a it's a wild move it's definitely not something i expected to hear about today but it's going to be one of the things you have to look at as you look at this game the middle of the rams defense sort of if you're talking about the classic sort of like baseball make your defense strong up the middle like the middle of the rams defense right now is gutted um and they're gonna have to try and patch that over against a talented arizona offensive team that knows that like there's no secret it's not game time decisions with these guys maybe except for rap they know that those guys are missing and they if you don't think they're going to push their finger right into that cut uh they are that's what the nfl is all about
1: let's get to the uh bootleg shot of the week now the last one of the season and uh we don't have any new nominees for this week but we have maybe our favorite winner of the season possibly saved the best for last uh it, it ended up being a closer vote than i expected but nick chubb ultimately did prevail after bouncing another human being like a literal basketball in uh in that showdown between the steelers and browns in week 17 just one of the nastiest most disrespectful stiff arms that you're ever gonna see and uh i i couldn't imagine a better uh, a better winner for the bootleg shot of the week to cap off this year
0: yeah i i am extremely happy to take this shot for nick chubb because it was highly unfortunate circumstances for the defender there were many things that could have gone slightly another way to have saved him from that fate none of them occurred <laughs> everything went wrong it was a beautiful disaster and he got his head and shoulders bounced off the turf by a very uh aggressive Nick Chubb, who you all know, if you follow the show, I enjoy very much as a runner in the NFL. So shot of the week. I will. uh, My back hurts a little bit from carrying you this week, but it's okay. I'll do it.
1: I I got my water.
0: If you (laughs) chug that entire what? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do
1: it. I I lied. It's all Blanco. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here's to Nick Chubb. There you go. What do you have, by the way, again? Straight
0: Jameson this week. A little there bit of go. ice, so probably about a third of that was water, just one cube, but it melts over the did I hours. Did I
1: tell you that the bar we were at last night was an Irish bar? I Run oh, by actual Irishmen?
0: Yeah. No, I know it because I looked it up. You you sent me the address, and um, I looked it up, and it's strange. It didn't have a very Irish name, but strangely enough, when you look it up, it says blank an Irish bar. And I was like, oh, look at that. He gets to go to an Irish bar in New York City, which is a thing. If you go to an Irish bar... I will say, certainly in New York City, certainly in Boston, uh, to a lesser extent in Philly, which some people are like, what, Philly? No, trust me. Um, You go to an Irish bar in any of those three cities, like,
1: uh uh-huh. I I heard the accent, like, the second we walked in, I was like, what the fuck? Oh, this is, like, not an Irish-themed bar. This is an Irish (laughs) bar. We don't have those. Where oh I live.
0: yeah, we don't. Uh, we don't hang up the paper shamrocks. We just we serve you your liquor with a little bit of attitude and, and a lot of humor. Um, I'm glad you got to go. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, it's a place that bootleggers got to gather. I mean, that seems like a a very sort of uh, seems right and fitting. Let's put it that way.
1: I did notice, by the way, that. Uh, they only had whiskey from one side of the church in that bar. I, I keep an eye out for that now because of you. Uh, yeah. It's a thing. It's a it, thing. It
0: is a thing. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny growing up in an Irish household and, and having great grandparents that emigrated from Ireland. Uh, you know, I wasn't aware of that as a kid. It just wasn't a thing. Um, and then when I went to visit my relatives in Ireland uh, as a, you know, 20 something year old, It was made very clear to me that that was a thing because I was trying to be polite um, when I was at uh, one of my relatives' bars in Ireland and it was 11 o'clock in the morning when we got there. It just happened to be when we were going through their town and they invited us in for a drink because that's what you do when family shows up. They said, can I get you a shot of something? And I said, yeah. And they said, what? And I said, you know, know, Bushmills or Jamesons. And they said... What? Or? Or? They were like, <laughs> you got to pick one, right? And I was like, huh? And they were like, what do you mean, huh? And we had this whole discussion. Anyways, uh, a discussion for another time, but yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> uh
1: So with that being said, a little bit of a shorter episode this week, uh, a little bit easier for me to edit on the road, but, um, you know, with less as we're getting less and less games each week, there's going to be less and less games we can talk about. I'm sure we're going to have an even longer episode next week, though, when we're getting into the divisional round matchups, because uh, I'll be home a little bit easier to edit something with more meat uh, when I'm home and like, you know, adding film clips and stuff like that. But hey, we still made it to about an hour and a half. That ain't bad by our standards. So, uh, thank you everybody for uh, for listening and watching. However you happen to be consuming bootleg football, uh, thank you to all of our new patrons that joined this week. Uh, we had Taylor, we had Alex, Jack, and Nataro. You guys are all our new patrons for this week. Thank you so much for your support. Um, we really uh, we really couldn't do this without you guys. Remember, you also get your discount on bootleg merch now that you're a patron. So if you want, you know, whether a hoodie or I brought this from California just for this podcast, EJ. I'm planning well, ahead. Well,
0: and the 90-degree temps, you know, that <laughs> doesn't oh, this hurt. this
1: is one of, like, four layers. <laughs> uh, but so yeah. if you guys want your discounts on merch, you can go get those. And also thank you to everybody that showed up to the bootleg roundtable that we had last weekend. We had a really good turnout. We had eight or nine people that, that came and hung out with us for about an hour and a half as a pregame show uh, before the Saturday games. Again, we love you guys. Uh, People that came out to the meet and greet in person this week, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. You guys make it all possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We had a great time on Saturday. The patrons that came out were able to tell us why they support us, which we're always really interested in, what they really like about bootleg, uh, maybe what they don't like so much and what they'd love to see us do in the future. We're sponges for all that. We really want to know what everybody wants. A reminder that we launched the Bootleg Football Clips channel last week for shorter content. We'll have clips from this podcast going up over there. Uh, We put up one, the very first one, from last week's podcast talking about the Bengals. Um, But we'll have more there certainly as we go through draft season. Just shorter focused content, things that need a little bit more video, um, and some maybe new pieces of content that we frame uh, based off what we heard on on saturday and and things that people want to see so always shoot ideas our way uh be sure to go over and check out the bootleg football clips channel subscribe over there as well so you don't miss a beat but um yeah lots going on won't be doing bears over beers on the regular uh probably for a while we'll have a couple of shows certainly once the the new gm and coach are selected and then maybe a few shows leading up to the draft but it's it's really time to dig into film uh i think it's 15 days until players report to the shrine bowl Mm. uh, which we're going to be at so it's time to sort of hit the books dig into film get ready for the all-star games uh shrine bowl senior bowl uh and and really start bringing you the draft content that you're used to getting from bootleg um and that we love providing so that's that's what's next
1: up on the docket uh, also, I have a film room. I forgot to plug my film room that I'm doing this week, too, on this Bills uh, Patriots game. I'm recording the rest of it tomorrow and sending it off to to Slater, my editor. Uh, so that, I think, is coming out Friday morning, I believe. Uh, it, de- it depends on how, how quick we can get the edit done. But ideally, Friday morning when that's coming out. So uh, lots more stuff. Lots more stuff coming this week uh, between podcasts and film rooms and, and clips and you know if we can put out a piece of content collectively every single day i think we're doing our job right so thank you everybody for listening uh we'll be back next week uh breaking down everything that happened in the wild card round and looking ahead to the divisional round hope you guys will join us for that and until then later take care